This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. Freestyle Friday begins now. Thank you very much for joining. Great to have you here. Much, much appreciated to uh, get to hang out with you on this Friday. Whoa, that was loud. Sorry. Uh, it's a nice day here in New York City. Weekend will be upon us soon. Yay. Yay. Good things. Good th- Yes. As I see now, that's how the cool kids write it. Y-A-A-A-A-A-S. This is a thing now that's done on the uh, interwebs. So... Uh, you know, one of the every morning, one of the things that I have to consider is what's the monologue today? The opening monologue sort of sets the tone for the show. Sometimes I feel like I end up uh, getting into either a topic that's my favorite topic or maybe we sort of stumble together into the most potent portion of the show just because it happens organically based on, I don't know, your calls or the news cycle or a tweet or any number of things. Right. I mean, this is why it's fun to do a live show because I've got a basic sense in my head of where we're going to go. But, and today's freestyle, which means that I'm just, I've got some things, but I'm going to be making it up as I go along, popping in with a lot of guests and all the rest of it. But what is the, the sort of story of the day or the monologue of the day, really? Oftentimes, it's more of a thought than it is a story, and it's a thought that's based on some of the stories that we've seen. And yesterday, I, I just wanted to address that whole fake news thing as a follow-up, because it's just funny to me that there's this really concerted effort out there right now to make people think that fake news is new and that it's a threat to the integrity of this republic. It's a threat to our elections. Fake news is a scourge. Fake news is dangerous. Uh, But it's really a fake, fake news story. And I talked to you a bit about yesterday how some of the major media outlets that have run with this based their uh, stories on very flimsy information, did essentially very shoddy work, and then kind of just, well, you know, whatever. It's almost as though there are marching orders that come down from the top. Everybody, all hands on deck. Fake news, fake news. That's what we're going to be covering. It's kind of funny, isn't it? They're all going to be covering fake news. And I thought to myself yesterday, maybe this, maybe this is something that bothers me more than other people or... Maybe I'm too focused on it because I just love as a former CIA officer, I'm fascinated by propaganda and uh, information operations, mass messaging, shaping of public perception. Because when you see it done in other countries and you actually have a professional understanding of how that sort of thing works and you have a particular insight into both how other countries do that and I don't know, maybe in the past how America has occasionally here and there dabbled a little bit in perception management abroad. Maybe that's happened, maybe it hasn't. Who knows? Neither confirm nor deny. But when you understand propaganda 
elsewhere, you also can notice it here. You see it here, and you see the same tricks, the same skill set, the same tradecraft, to borrow a term of spying, at work. And so it just kind of got stuck in my head, this whole notion of, well, uh, this story is very interesting to me because it's a means of creating whatever narrative you want. Right? If there's fake news out there, then anytime the public doesn't go along with you on something, you can blame it on some random internet story. Anytime the public votes down some referendum that the left, that the progressives want, it's because of a fake internet story. And they've even gone beyond the perception and voting and sort of threat to democracy side of things into the, this is an imminent security threat. This is a clear and present danger. Still pretty good movie, holds up. Clear and present danger to our safety. Because of this guy, for example, who went into the pizza store, you know, Pizza Gate. Initially, I know a lot of conservatives didn't want to talk, didn't want to cover the Pizza Gate thing because it was just some wacko and who cares. The left loves it. I was just scrolling through last, not scrolling through, but uh, flipping through the channels last night on CNN. And sure enough, you know, big stories on Pizza Gate. Oh, Pizza Gate. But still, I thought to myself, you know, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm more fixated on this. And I rely on a lot of you with your Facebook messages and your tweets to always sort of guide me with, am I hitting the stuff that all of us should be talking about? Am I hitting the things that matter? You know, sometimes I have things that I get particularly excited or or aggravated or interested in that I know aren't shared by, uh, let's say, a majority of the team or all of the team. And then I wake up this morning and I see that, oh, wait a second, Hillary Clinton's first public speech since she blamed the FBI director for her loss was essentially an effort to blame fake news for her loss slash tell us all that fake news is a scourge that must immediately be addressed by government intervention, no less. Play the clip. The epidemic of malicious fake news and false propaganda that flooded social media over the past year, it's now clear that so-called fake news can have real-world consequences. This isn't about politics or partisanship. Lives are at risk. Lives are at risk. Not just the integrity of our elections, not just the future of our republic. Lives are at risk. You'll notice this, by the way. The moment that it's a question of life or death, what, will you, what, are, what is not allowable? What are the boundaries of your power? What are the lines you will not cross? Very few. They want government intervention on this issue. They want to find some excuse uh, for having outside uh, government actors influence. And you know the way they want to do it, by the way, is by telling the platforms for this sort of thing, mostly Facebook, Twitter, I guess now Snapchat, which the kids use. My girlfriend's on Snapchat, and I'm always like, I don't understand. What is this Snapchat? She shows me, and I'm like, I don't, I don't get the, oh, look, look I'm going to now have a dog face. I don't want a dog face. I'm, I'm trying, you know, no, it's the face that God gave me. I don't want a dog face. And then I see that, like, the, is it like Pixie with a little crown? And those of you who have experimented a little bit with Snapchat know what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, so I, I sit there and, and I look at this stuff and I think to myself, I get it now. They have no they no longer because of the Internet, they no longer have a monopoly over actual news. But what they're looking for now is control over the curation of news, 
control over the aggregation and the sharing of news. Right? They want to have gatekeepers in place who are taking it upon themselves. And, and these are a new kind of gatekeeper, by the way. We already have the Washington Post, the New York Times. They're acting as gatekeepers of news already. That's already happening. What I'm talking about are the social media platforms that we think of as being neutral on these issues, but increasingly they are not. And what's happening right now is the Democrats are essentially publicly hectoring the major social media platforms, which is how a lot of people get their news. For They're, they're trying to convince them that they have to have really a similar editorial hand that all the other news sites do when really there's supposed to be user and content generated information. But you see, that would be even more powerful. The same way that think tanks that pretend to be nonpartisan but really secretly are, and I'm familiar with quite a few of them, and I've even seen some internal memos from some of them that show that they know that they're playing a game here. But they just are presenting truth as they see it, you know, accurate policy, honest policy. But, of course, they're trying to keep their donors happy and they're pretending that they're nonpartisan so that they can try to influence both sides of the aisle because that way they have more influence. They have more power. But their actual policies are partisan, right? What they're trying to do is partisan, but they say they're a nonpartisan organization. Uh, Facebook and the other social media platforms, because they're considered to be almost like a public utility, like, you know, phone lines or, uh, you know, there's sort of an extension of the neutral Internet. If they, in fact, continue to do what they're already starting to do, which is censor points of view, censor certain pages, censor news, not based on any legal reasoning, just based on what they like or don't like. They are private companies. They can do this. Keep this in mind. This is not a First Amendment issue of law. You could say it's a First Amendment issue in terms of principle. We should have free speech and they should be a part of that. But that's up to them. But the Democrats see an opening here, and they're going with it. I mean, Hillary Clinton speaking. It's her first speech. She's speaking about fake news, everybody. I mean, I thought yesterday maybe that wasn't – maybe I'm taking you uh, a little too far down the rabbit hole of fake news here and getting into it. Nope. Hillary Clinton revives it. Biggest news story of the day, fake news, and how it's a threat to all of us. How it's you know yelling fire in a crowded theater. I would ask you, if you have a spare moment, by the way, look up the actual origin a fire in a crowded theater. People say this all the time, like they've won the argument. And I always want to point out, oh, so you side with the Supreme Court justice who thought that a socialist handing out pamphlets on the street wasn't actually protected speech. Because the, the justice that, talked, that wrote about fire in a crowded theater was that guy. People don't know this. Just like they don't know that Citizens United would have allowed the banning of books. They don't know. They don't know. But fake news is the problem. No. How about just ignorance is the problem? Ignorance and virtue signaling and pretending that you're smart by going along with what people like Hillary Clinton say. That's really the problem. We'll get into this some more. 888-900-3393. It's Freestyle Friday. I need to hear from some of you because that's the only way I'm going to enjoy my weekend. Yeah, I'm going to go out there and say it. I'm going to go out there and say it. Back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network.
Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Our buddy Matt Welch has called in now. We put out the Welch signal, which is sort of like the silhouette of a Brooklyn hipster with a tendency towards liberty up in the sky, and he answered. Mr. Welch, good to have you. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Reason.com, peace up right now. Hillary Clinton's predictable and awful call for urgent government intervention into the epidemic of fake news. Matt, I am actually flabbergasted. I talked about fake news yesterday just as a follow-up to the Washington Post-Russia propaganda piece, which was based on crap, by the way. And now Hillary Clinton's giving a speech. This is insane. Government intervention? This is the same uh, Hillary Clinton who, you know, will in any given speech talk about the... uh, the gender gap, women are only getting paid 77 cents on the dollar, which has been debunked by absolutely every single human being who's looked at it with any sense of objectivity. Uh, and needless to say, you know, the fake news about her own email uh, server has dogged her for quite some time. Uh, this is really remarkable, and at the same time, it's totally predictable. Uh, even though she never really has gotten too much grief uh, about this over time, her long career about uh, free speech of all sorts, has been like, what would happen if Tipper Gore actually had power, uh, as opposed to just being more of a gadfly running uh, congressional hearings. Hillary Clinton has supported over her career more than a half a dozen different laws, many of which she wrote uh, or uh, sponsored herself, that were later declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court on First Amendment grounds. This is what she does. And so, yeah, you know, yesterday she says that we have an epidemic of fake news, which let's remember the definition of the word epidemic it means it's spreading around really quick in a very specific community, and it's really hard to stop the contagion. That's not what's happening, kids. Uh, also, uh, h- how could this possibly be considered new? I mean, what, what about this is new? First of all, you got Dan Rather. That was fake news. Bra- oh, wait, we got Brian Williams. Play the clip. His son was fired by the Trump transition today for passing on fake news stories via Twitter. But his dad, the retired Army three-star general, has passed on some gems himself. Here are a few. Clinton is involved with child sex trafficking and has secretly waged war on the Catholic Church, as well as charges that the president is a jihadi who laundered money for Muslim terrorists. As we talked about here last night, fake news played a role in this election and continues to find a wide audience. I love it. They played played a role in this election. You could say that a lot of things played a role in a lot of things, right? I mean, this is like some people on the left, you're like, hey, let's talk about the... Right, I was going to say, no, no, no trace of irony here. Holy cow. Uh, and I love the, uh, you know, as we informed you last night, fake news is really important. This is an incredible thing to watch happen in the, uh, how long has it been now? It's been a month uh, since this election. It's as if everybody in working in uh, mainstream journalism um, uh, set themselves up to answer the question, how did we fail to prevent 
or, uh, you know, the bad thing happening, uh, which is a really weird way of looking at stuff. You know, I mean, I, if I was in their shoes more than I am, and I am to some degree, you know, I, I'm working in the media myself, I'm self-reflective of the things that I got wrong during this election and the assumptions that I made that aren't true and the biases that I bring to bear, which are many and, 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 and beautiful, uh, obviously, but it's how you, uh, you know, uh, transcend those or inform those or be honest about them. Uh, uh, first of all, that's uh, really important. But instead, they're all sitting, looking for someone to blame. And in, in Clinton's speech yesterday, which was at uh, Harry Reid uh, retirement ceremony, which is incredibly rich, considering that Harry Reid just stone cold made stuff up about Mitt Romney in 2012. And, and, and crowed about it afterwards. He was like, yeah, that's right. He didn't win. I mean, he said that's stuff, and he knew that if he said he said it on the Senate floor, he's beyond. There's a there's a protection against uh, against what is it uh, slander. So he knew that he couldn't be sued. He knew that he could get away with saying whatever he wanted, and he, and he did that. But what I find even fascinating is, let's just say for a second, what Hillary Clinton said in a prepared speech, by the way, is true. And it is, and fake news is a new epidemic, which is a lie. And it, it's an epidemic period, which is a lie. Uh, what would be done about it? What, what would she propose the government uh, do here to stop people from lying about crap on the Internet? Well, she has in the past, uh, right after the San Bernardino uh, terrorist attack, said that government needs to lean on uh, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Yep. Uh, which she's leaned on in the past, obviously, uh, in other contexts, uh, to uh, shut down, to, to deny space to would-be jihadis. And, and uh, it translated into policy issues. If there are people out there celebrating uh, a terrorist attack online, then either Facebook needs to just shut them down to prevent them from doing that, or the government needs to somehow get involved using national security exemptions. And usually it's in the name of national security where the uh, U.S. federal government has the widest latitude to crack down on free speech and restrict it in certain ways. So it would be something along those lines. You would have to be able to come up with a security reason. You know, my God, some nut burger uh, went to Comet Pizza in D.C., so therefore this is a national security question um, to do something about fake news. Uh, it obviously won't go anywhere. Um, uh, hopefully it uh, won't go anywhere. And uh, uh, more importantly, because we have a, a U.S. Supreme Court, which has, as I mentioned before, shot down a half a dozen different Hillary Clinton brain farts about, uh, about uh, restricting speech over the years, but have a, have a really strong First Amendment jurisprudence out there. But yeah, it, it, functionally speaking, this is nonsense. You, you're not going to make it stop. And as you point out right at the top, for crying out loud, we've been doing this since before the founding. There are, there are conspiracy theories going to get spread. Whatever the technology is available to you, whether it's your uncle's forwarded emails uh, that you respond to immediately, like, dude, would you just check Snopes? Um, all this kind of stuff. We've been doing it. Oral histories. We've been doing it. There's stories yeah, of like I going out in the woods, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and and protecting ourselves against Indian savages. This has been with us since the. I think look, part of the price of a free society is that your annoying uncle has the right to forward you a chain email that you're frightened to open up in the office because you don't know what photos and what stuff is going to pop up. And at the bottom, it says, if you don't pass this along because, the, you know, the country's in danger, then uh, to 10 people, then we're all going to die. That You know what? That That is part of the price of living in a free society. Yes. And uh, and let's be honest, sometimes it's kind of funny. <laughs> it can be amazing. Some of the fake news stuff is great. Is great uh, entertainment value. I have to. Say, I don't. I don't think people are giving it its due. 
Uh, you know what? Uh, the final episode of South Park this season, which uh, aired this week, uh, they had a, a long, a recurring storyline. This, and it comes down at the end. There's uh, different trolls facing off, and one of them uh, says, "Well, my trolling is better than yours because at least it's funny." Um, and, Do I need uh, to watch yeah. South Park? I've heard a lot of people that I trust tell me that Buck. I know you don't like cartoons generally, but you should watch South Park. Is this? Do I have the Mount Welch endorsement? Years, dude. So, like, uh, if, if, if it hasn't caught your fancies yet, then I don't really know what to tell you. But uh, wow. uh, I, f- yeah, I feel like I just got told I'm not welcome in Williamsburg. I'm a little sad now. You know what? I don't live in Williamsburg. I don't know how many times I have to tell you. I'm Carroll Gardens. <laughs> The mafia takes care of uh, the people here. They don't uh, take kindly to too many uh, uh, beardy uh, hipster types. Only slightly less beardy hipster than Williamsburg. Carroll Gardens, lovely place, fantastic restaurants. I love uh, Buttermilk Channel and Prime Meats, which I believe are uh, are in your area. Matt yeah, Welch. Go there right now. There you go, buddy. Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. Check out his latest on Reason.com, and obviously follow him at Matt Welch on Twitter. Sir, thank you for coming on. Great to talk to you. Talk soon. Thank you, Buck. Team, we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze Radio Network. So, team, the latest research from YouGov, I don't know how much you trust YouGov or not, but says that Americans are divided on the Dakota Access Pipeline, but most back the decision to deny the lake permit. What is going on here? People, one time of fake news, people have no idea what the truth of the Dakota Access Pipeline is. So to make sure that we're all totally set straight on the record and know what's going on, we are joined now by Congressman Kevin Kramer. He's a Republican congressman from North Dakota. He's got a piece up in The Wall Street Journal, what the Dakota Access Pipeline is really about. Congressman, thank you for joining. Thanks for the opportunity. Pleasure. So we hear this is about protecting Native American heritage. We hear this is about water rights. We hear this is about protecting the environment. All of that is not true. Well, let's start with the environment. First of all, this pipeline would carry somewhere between 470,000 to 570,000 barrels of oil per day from uh, the Bakken of North Dakota to the uh, to the Patoka, Illinois um, hub. Well, all of, that's already happening. That oil is being produced. It's being hauled, but it's being hauled on trains and long-haul trucks, all of which are much more intrusive on the environment than is a pipeline. So it can't be about the environment. So, so let me just be um, clear, Congressman. If yeah. someone's concerned about CO2, preventing the pipeline will, as just a, a matter of the factual reality, send more CO2 into the air. That's exactly right. Right. Okay. So there's that level. Uh, Let's talk about water. Sure. So the... the the legitimate question that the Standing Rock uh, Sioux Tribe had was the proximity of this pipeline to its water intake uh, downstream of the Missouri River. Um, you know, it's a legitimate question, but it's also been answered and answered to the to the satisfaction of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the satisfaction of uh, a D.C. Circuit Court judge uh, appointed by Barack Obama, satisfied to the satisfaction of a three-court appellate panel in the D.C. Circuit. So, and here's how it's addressed. This pipeline will be horizontal, directionally drilled under the Missouri River, and it will be double-lined in uh, steel. That The uh, route goes from 92 to 115 feet 
below the surface, <laughs> below the surface of all bedrock um, between between the water, the river itself, and of the pipeline. It'll have the latest in, in technology, so it'll have sensors on both sides that will sense any drop in pressure immediately, and then, you know, valves that turn off both sides. I mean, so so it's really not about the water. And by the way, the intake, the brand-new intake that's being built and paid for by the federal government for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe will be, and it, by, it's to be operational yet this month, is 73 miles downstream of this uh, this pipeline. By the way, there's a there's a uh, railroad bridge that's about a m- less than a mile and a half from the new intake that carries Bach and crude across it every day in, in trains. So theoretically, I mean that railroad bridge, something trains have problems, just like anything can have problems. But right. they're, they're not all complaining and protesting about the possibility of a pipeline spill from the uh, the rail the rail bridge. And aren't there also many? places where the Missouri already is crossed by pipelines? We had a, a security expert on earlier in the week who said that there are over 200 crossings of the Missouri. That, that's true, and we've counted about 14 um, just in North Dakota alone that are upstream of the Dakota Access Pipeline. There's one, there's a refinery right on the Missouri River on the Mandan side, Bismarck-Mandan, uh, the Missouri River splits the, the, our two cities. On the Mandan side, there's a, they, there's a refinery that carries refined product Immediately west uh, across the Missouri River, uh, you know, to markets, uh, or, or immediately east, so it carries mar- uh, petroleum product, gasoline, diesel fuel, you know, jet fuel, things like that, uh, east into Fargo and Minnesota. So um, th- that already happens uh, in many, many places. The difference is this is going to be the latest, greatest, furthest underground, uh, best uh, technology uh, of any pipeline of, of all these fossil fuel pipelines that already crossed the Missouri We're River. speaking to Representative Kramer. He is a Republican from North Dakota. Uh, Congressman, what are the benefits that this pipeline would bring to, I mean, across, it's in it's in your home state. What are the benefits this would, would have for just if, across the board? Well, what are the good things that would come from the pipeline? Sure. Well, first of all, go, you know, it goes back to sort of our first discussion about the environment. This is the most environmentally friendly way to move petroleum products is by pipeline. It's also the safest, it's the most secure, but it's also the most efficient. And at a time when when $50 a barrel, you know, is uh, sort of becoming hopefully the new standard, um, but it's been as low as $30 in recent months, the margin for producing and moving this product, which, by the way, it's 13 degrees below zero in Bismarck this morning. We like petroleum products a lot. It keeps us, doesn't just keep us flying and driving and farming and it keeps us warm. I'm never and, complaining uh, about New York weather again. Go ahead, Congressman. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's, yeah, good idea. So, so it's important to get this stuff to, to market. It's important for it to be profitable. It's important for the jobs that it creates. I mean, but for, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, really the evolution of, of fracking to the point where now it's a, a renaissance, an oil renaissance in our country, the last eight years would have been an even worse economy. It was really energy that has kept this country afloat economically for the last several years. So, um, you know, there's all of that. There's the, 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 let's just talk about safety, trucks on the road. You take these great big trucks, and I'm all for trucking, don't get me wrong, but, um, you, you know, the the... the Traffic deaths and fatalities, uh, accidents and whatnot, uh, all of that is diminished with a pipeline. And in terms of respecting Native American culture, heritage, and and all the rest of that, because they've been sort of the vanguard of this protest movement. I know there's a lot of non-Native Americans who have showed up in this encampment. The encampment's 
rather large, by the way, correct? I've seen photos. Yeah. I haven't been there myself, yeah. but my understanding is it's pretty big. It is very big. It's several thousand people at any given time. They come and go. But um, it's, by the way, it's also an illegal encampment. It's on federal land. They're trespassing. But the federal government chose to allow that and shouldn't be surprised that several, uh, you know, a lot of other illegal activities have stemmed from their enabling. Um, so anyway, uh, so you, you mentioned, okay, can, I, can I just push you one thing, sure. uh, Congressman, or, or bring up one thing, I should say? There was an improvised explosive device that was detonated on a public bridge. You brought this up in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, I, I think people have a very, and the American people, it's not necessarily anyone's fault because the way this is being covered, right. they have a, uh, they think this is sort of like Woodstock meets, you know, Native American rights. You get an IED blowing up on a bridge. You've got people that are pretending that this is all about Native American land when it's not even on, uh, it's not even on their land. There's a lot of misinformation out there about this. There is, and and that is, uh, and that's often the case when you have one movement that is bent on telling the lie, and the other movement that simply just wants the law to prevail. Um, you know, you sort of get swamped by social media and things, and that's that's definitely happened. However, I do think that. With more information the last few weeks, that tide is turning a little bit. I mean, this week, the USA Today actually opined in favor of the pipeline. The Washington Post, just uh, yesterday or the day before, opined as an editorial board in favor. The Wall Street Journal opined this week in favor of it. So I do think that's starting to turn a little bit. Um, Plus, they just overreached. So you talk about illegal activity. Improvised explosive devices is certainly one of those things, but they lit fires on, on private land, uh, trampled private land. Uh, a lot of livestock has been missing. Uh, they've stampeded bison. There are bison herds out here, that you know, domestic bison herds that they've stampeded, thrown Molotov cocktails at police officers, harassed police officers' families until they had to move. We have police officers in Bismarck and Mandan whose families have had to leave their house. They have to live somewhere else while this is going on. Um, National Guard members who've been spit on in their homes, uh, in their in their you know, the hallways of their apartment buildings, and things like that. It's it's just been awful. Sl- slashing of tires. Um, they they come to town and wash their hair and bathe basically in restaurant um, restrooms, public restrooms. Uh, you know, post. At home addresses of members of Congress on their Facebook pages. I can't imagine what the reason for that would be. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty awful. But what do they say, Congressman? I mean, given that now you, you're giving us a much fuller picture of this protest movement and what's going on. You know, I've got a bunch of friends in California who are sort of artist creative types, and I see their Facebook posts, and they, you know, they're all, oh, we need to stand with the Native Americans, and this is about peaceful protest, and I'm like. You know, you've got a very skewed view, and these are actually people that I know. I have to talk to them about this stuff. I'm going to set them straight, Congressman, I promise. But (laughs) what do the protesters really want? I mean, if you sat down across the table from them and just said to them, okay, guys, what makes you all go away? What would it be? Just just no pipeline? What do they say they want? Well, there, there are some groups that are just the keep-it-in-the-ground crowd, and, and they think that somehow by avoiding this last quarter of a mile under the river, they can keep oil in the ground. Well, that's just obviously not true. Some people really are just you know, idealists. They're ideologues that just you know, believe in a cause, and this is sort of the cause of the day. You have Black Lives Matter out here. But one of the things that's happening, and, and most recently, Wesley Clark Jr. headed up and, and encouraged thousands of veterans to come and stand with Standing Rock. He raised uh, over a million dollars in a GoFundMe page, didn't show up, 
they're all out there freezing their butts off now and having to be rescued by our first responders abandoned and there's and the, and having to pay their own way because Wesley Clark Jr. seems to not be accountable for the million dollars. There's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of GoFundMe accounts that are taking advantage. Yeah, people are expo- people are exploiting this for their own purposes. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. one more for you, Congressman. I'm gonna let you go. I know you're busy today. No problem. Um, the Obama administration told the Army Corps of Engineers to stand down. Looks very transparent, very political to me. What say you? Well, first of all, the, the Corps of Engineers issued a 408 permit to go under the river and then withdrew it when the, the Department of Justice specifically um, decided that uh, it wasn't such a great idea. Let's put a hold on it. Um, but in the meantime, but it should be known that over 200 other um, Corps of Engineers permits have been issued, and the pipeline has been built in those areas. They also have an easement, which is what they also need. They have a draft easement that's been sitting on the desk of the commander for about four months, um, ready to go. They've done further consultation. In fact, three weeks ago, on November 14th to be specific, they sent a letter, they being the Department of the Army, sent a letter saying that uh, after further review and accounting for information from the tribes and the pipeline companies in September, that it's they've concluded its uh, previous decisions comported with legal requirements. In other words, it's a legal pipeline. You know, uh, so I think... Um, you know, at the end of all of this, at the end of all this, there'll be a, a new administration that will straighten this out. But I think in the end, th- th- this president, uh, he was ac- is acquiescing for political you know, reasons to his base, his far extreme leftist anti-fossil fuel base. By the way, all these protesters fly in on aircraft that use jet fuel and or, or they drive in with cars that use fuel. There's a lot of hypocrisy. Um, but uh, the, the, the real tragedy here, in my view, here's the, the greater concern I have, if you don't mind, and that sure. is what kind of a signal this sends to all kinds of infrastructure uh, investment in this country, whether it's highways, bridges, uh, wind farms, if you care about that sort of thing. Um, we have, I've had investors in water pipelines now that have, that have stopped. Uh, because they can't go to they can't go to the street and get equity because of the uncertainty that that the rules could be changed not not be just prior to the game not in the middle of the game but after the game is over that they can actually withdraw a permit that they've already issued billions of dollars been spent on and then say ah we've changed our minds that that's us that's a chilling chilling message to send to uh, to job creators in this country so there's a lot at stake here but hopefully the new sheriff uh, Donald Trump uh, I've had a visit with him about it I think that uh, I think we're going to see a little different, uh, or a little different attitude as we I, go forward. I think but, that's a, but legally, think that's it's a safe be a bet, Congressman. Yeah. Kevin Kramer is Republican Congressman from North Dakota. He's also got a piece up in the Wall Street Journal you should check out about the Dakota Access Pipeline. Congressman Kramer, great to have you, sir. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for the opportunity. Always a pleasure. Team 888-900-3393. It's Friday, which means you want to throw an action movie quote my way and see if you can stump me? Bring it to the buck. Be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Only. On the Blaze Radio Network. Got some calls up here from Carl in Indiana. What's up, Carl? Shields High. What's up? Can you hear me, Buck? I can indeed, sir. 
All right, got an action movie quote. All right, let's see what we got. I swear I'm not so Googling. My hands up, are up in the air. Go ahead. All right, so you cooked up a story and put the six of us in a meat grinder. What happened to you, Dylan? You used to be someone I could trust. Predator, dude. I'm, oh. I'm, oh, oh, dude, please. Predator, I could do the entire script off the top of my head. I yeah. love one of the one of the five greatest action movies of all time for me. I mean, you can argue about what you know what's top three. One of the five for me: Predator with Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, uh, Duke is oh, in yeah. there. It's, it's amazing. It's an all star all star crew. I don't think that something like that. All. I mean, they tried to do Expendables, but you, you just can't. Not, I mean, Predator, the original is it's it's untouchable. No, if you're if you're looking for pure testosterone fueled action 80s movie predator is, is is top of the heap for me i mean it's it's as good as it gets it's also a cool concept they did a really good job with it i thought um and there's an interesting behind the scenes if you go on youtube they have a behind the scenes of the movie that talks to you about sort of the making of it and how intense these actors were about like trying to sort of one-up each other because you've got you know carl weathers at sort of the a height of his of uh, his career prowess really schwarzenegger oh, yeah, at the height of his like- you got Jesse Ventura before he was like an old crazy nutbag. Um, it's it's an amazing cast. Absolutely, and you know what? There are some some other quotes I'd like to drop, but you know it is an R-rated movie, so I, I went with a you know kind of a, a softball down the middle. I appreciate it, but, that. I also like that Dylan in the movie is like the CIA guy who leads them all astray, and you know short anyway. It's it's just an awesome movie. It's so good. Uh, I recommend it to anybody. If you haven't seen it this weekend, watch it. Download it. Find a way to watch it. Predator Schwarzenegger, the best. Carl in Indiana, Shield Time, man. Great quote. You just cheered me up by bringing up Predator on on uh, on the radio show. Uh, it's such a such a good movie. There's some. Th- there's also something very pro America about it too. Uh, I can't really even explain it beyond that. It's just it's just pure awesome. It's like one of my favorite movies. We'll talk more about some movies later on in the show. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit of politics with our friend Vince from The Daily Caller next. We've got some random expert guests coming up. It's going to be wild. Stay with me. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We're joined by our friend Vince Colonese. He is the Daily Caller's editor in chief. Vince, what's up, buddy? Things are so great. Thank you for having me, Buck. Yeah, rock and roll, my friend. Uh, right now on the Daily Caller on DailyCaller.com. Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg saying that fake news did not influence the outcome of the election. Uh, do you Good think this her. is because she wants to set the record straight, or is she receiving so many nasty emails from her liberal friends that Facebook should have done more to help Hillary win? Well, it's some combination of that. I mean, imagine if you're Mark Zuckerberg. Your wife is probably in your ear at night and like, hey, just so you know, Donald Trump's president because of you and all this fake news on your network. Do something about it, buddy. And if not her, somebody around uh, him, or in this case, Sheryl Sandberg, or anybody else who's an executive at Facebook, think about the tremendous pressure they're on among their liberal, friend, under, among their liberal fa- friends to sort of rein in, which is 
right now a perception problem, not clearly an objective one, right? So, I mean, all these studies and surveys where people are going over the preponderance of fake news, it's not even abundantly clear the extent to which this is a real problem, one. And I think, Buck, that it is kind of curious that the only we're only talking about it now in the wake of an election where Donald Trump was elected president. I don't remember having a huge conversation about fake news in the lead up to President elect Trump. Oh, look, I, I think it's a, a backhanded way of creating a very widespread narrative, and that's what the, and the media is really hammering this. And Hillary gave a speech we played in the first hour today where she talked about this. It's a backhanded way of saying that Trump supporters are stupid, that they're too stupid to know that a story about, you know, essentially the sort of National Enquirer, which has been fake news for a long time, by the way, it's been out there, uh, National Enquirer style stories that get shared on Facebook, they're too dumb to know the difference. So, you know, whatever it was, the 60 million people who voted for Trump, they can't tell the difference between the New York Times and, you know, Satan's baby had by actress who is still married to Elvis or something. I mean, they, they can't tell the difference. Totally. And when you spend so much time cultivating a responsibility-free society, the inevitable reaction to this is that nobody should be responsible for anything except for the elites. Because, you know, people don't, they don't need responsibilities. They just need to leave lives that are free, free of inconveniences. And, and it's such a patronizing, paternalistic way to view the American voter, which is to say they can't actually sort out what's true. They're incapable of knowing uh, uh, that you know, some people can create websites that look like news sites but aren't. They just can't figure it out. So therefore, we've got to uh, to govern this, and we have to actually control the way speech flows. I, I don't know if you s- go ahead. Go ahead. No, the only other point I'll make is that they're talking specifically about these major methods of communication, right? Facebook, Twitter. Google, all under immense pressure right now to change the types of information that can actually get to their users. And I don't remember some giant conversation about us stopping grandma from forwarding emails that contained inf- incorrect information. What's next? I mean, what other means of communication are going to be invaded here? <laughs> it's like I said earlier, we had Matt Welch on from Reason. I said getting those annoying chain emails from your second cousin or your, or your irritating crazy uncle that say, if you don't forward these to 10 people, you're going to have bad luck right. forever. It's, it's the price we pay for living in a free society. I'll say it again. Yes, let's legislate those, especially the ones that like make you think that God is not going to like you anymore if you don't share it. I don't, I don't like those ones. The ones that are like they try to force you to like, hey, yeah, by I the agree. way, you'll, you'll get a blessing out of this. I don't want to be shamed. I, yeah, I don't want to be digitally blessed or digitally cursed based <laughs> on what what I do or don't. By the way, I'm very one of my favorite things to do is people who send me annoying emails. Uh, I put them in the block folder. It's great. The block function. You know what you They're, should do? This is I'm, this is totally off topic, but if you're on Facebook. Go and find your friends and go find a picture of one of your good friends with an ex, like boyfriend or girlfriend, and just click like on it and then see what happens. Oh, man. You're, you're, a, you're, a, devious, <laughs> you're a devious fellow, that's, Mr. That's, Vince. It's a great way to be a good friend. Oh, great way indeed. Um, let's, uh, let's switch to another, another piece right now up on DailyCaller.com where Vince is the editor-in-chief. OSU students complaining about the knife-wielding terrorist who was shot by a cop. So Ohio State University, we have this uh, Somali refugee, runs, uh, drives around, tries, and, tries to mow people down, and then tries to stab them to death. Cop shoots him. And I, I actually do almost find this hard to believe. Students are complaining that they, the cop shot the guy? Yes. The OSU Coalition for Black Liberation, which sounds like a pretty fair organization, is a campus protest group. And they've added the guy to a list of people who were wrongly killed at the hands of cops, which 
I don't know. I mean, the, the facts seem pretty clear on this. If there are people who, you know, who've been justifiably shot by cops, this guy sounds like he's up there among them. But uh, no, this guy, you know, this organization has decided that he's yet another yet another black victim of white policing uh, in an unjust way. And obviously, you and I both know that that's a bizarre way to assess this uh, horrific situation in which clearly a cop saved the day. Yeah, if we can't all agree that somebody running around with a butcher knife trying to stab people to death in broad daylight for no reason uh, should get shot by a cop, we, we really can't agree on very much. No, not at all. So, I mean, this is – you want to talk about fake news. We can't even agree on the facts anymore when it comes to a guy who is, like, swinging a knife and trying to stab people. By the way, just a, a little side note here. Did you see this piece? It's, it's also in Daily Caller, but I saw the New York Post uh, having a similar – uh, similar story up about how Morning Joe, which I don't really watch because I don't have cable, but occasionally I'll see clips of it. And if I'm staying over somewhere that's not my apartment, I'll wake up in the morning and watch it. And Morning Joe um, will, or, or rather Mika Brzezinski, who's the co-host on Morning Joe, was only, the, she says that the Hillary campaign tried to pull her off. This is, I think, kind of a funny thing. They tried to get her pulled off the air because she said the Hillary campaign was acting a bit arrogant. <laughs> that seems just That seems about right to me. I guess so. And, you know, they've kind of had a weird relationship with um, everyone in power, that, that show. Uh, I don't know. I kind of find them a mixture of, of amusing and, and frustrating occasionally. Um, you know, on their show, you'll remember, I think Mika at one point was actually reading emails directly from the White House in the middle of the show because the White House didn't like something she they said on the air. And she was like reading their statement. No, I didn't know that. She did that. That's pretty bold. This is, yeah, this was I, I like her ago. more and, now. Yeah, it was kind of amusing, and um, and then you know, and now it seems like uh, uh, Mr. Scarborough is back in the good graces or something of Donald Trump. I'm always, I, I have no evidence whatsoever to support this, but every time he says his sources suggest that something's happening inside of Trump world, I'm often left with only that the impression that Donald Trump himself is constantly telling Joe Scarborough what he's thinking. Um, but you know, who knows? It's it's, it's a Pretty entertaining to watch. It's a hop, skip, and a jump from 30 Rock to Trump Tower, so there's so there's that. And by the way, I have to say, on on my list of life goals, getting paid uh, somewhere in the five to seven million dollar a year range to show up in the morning, have my coffee, wear like a sort of schlumpy sweatshirt, and just be like, let me tell you guys about what's really Uh, happening in the world today. Yeah, just show up high on the list, and you'll be fun. Yeah, I was going to say, I just, I just want to show up in like the old ratty fleece that I wore for four years of college and just sort of wax philosophical about everything, the economy, <laughs> politics, culture. Limp- and also, I think that one of the most amusing parts of that show is that they actually have a guy who kind of like hangs onto the show whose name is Barnacle. Oh, that's His right. Mike, Mike Barnacle. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> the name says a lot. You know, there's Anthony Weiner, there's Mike Barnacle. I mean, sometimes people... Are are are, appropri- are appropriately in the nom- or appropriately named in the nomenclature. Uh, let's go to uh, oh wait, action movies. By the way, um, action movies for a second. What is your favorite action movie? If I may ask, Vince. This is a total. We do on Friday action movie quotes, and people try to stump me with action movie quotes on air. But do you have? Are, are you an action movie guy? And do you have a couple favorites? Okay, so just with the the ten seconds that you've provided prep for me on this to think about, it, I would say the one that I probably have cited the most in my life was The Matrix. I think the first Matrix was like I totally respect perfect. that. That's in my top ten for sure. Maybe even top at five. The time that I saw it, yeah, what? I loved it. It's great, and and it stands up to this day. In fact, I saw an article yesterday. It was like it had less to do with special effects than it did with the reality. The reality that so many of the stunts were performed live, like so. That didn't really. I mean, yes, there are a lot of special effects in the film, but 
everything from the way they shot it to the way that it was actually performed. So much of it was genuine. Yeah, and it, and it actually was a cool storyline, and it was creative and interesting. Unfortunately, the second and third movies were... The second movie was, like, watchable, but sort of went off the rails. The third movie was an atrocity. I mean, the, the third movie yeah, should be banned it, it, by it, the, the Geneva the, Convention. The, the classic problem that all science fiction films inevitably do, or series, is that they they indulge too much in the science fiction side and not enough in the, in the, in the shoot-em-up action side, which is really what I think made the movie great. The other thing, as you just alluded to, that made it great was the fact that it was enterprising. It was new and different. It was actually a, a standalone movie that wasn't, as far as I know, predicated by a book. So nowadays, it's just like famous, like best-selling book will become movie, or famous movie will get remake. I mean, beyond that, though, adventurism that leads to a great film doesn't happen that often. I yeah, new, a, a truly new screenplay or a truly, true, a truly new concept for a screenplay that works and that you know creates its own franchise feels like a very rare thing these days uh, indeed so uh, i'm with you on that. by the way I'm, I'm gonna make a confession right now on air i was just desperate to watch some mindless tv for a little while last night to get my mind off some other things and i can't even remember which one but one of the resident evil movies was on you know from that whole franchise with mila yes uh, jo- jovovich i think is her name um, I mean, I know her name. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, she's she's lovely. Those movies are terrible, and yet if you're not careful, you could find yourself like wasting 30 or 40 minutes of your life watching it before you become too embarrassed and have to change the channel. Right, and that's the best type of movie, one that's actually not predicated on a book or a prior film, but on a video game. Yeah, that's right. The video game is actually – I used to play a lot of video games. The video game was pretty good. That's great. Oh, I never played Resident Evil, but I'll take your word for it. Did you, Vince, you play video games, though. Let's not – come on, dude. You're in the trust oh, tree. You're in the sure. nest. It's me, you, and many thousands and thousands of Team Buck people. But, like, you can tell us. Yeah, don't tell them. I definitely did. I, and to this day, I, I think to myself, all of those those fake sort of goals that you achieve in the process of playing video games, you know, if you'd spent, like, just say half that time working on real life, you could achieve some real life goals. Best video game of all time for you was what? Oh, God. I know, man. You're on the spot. But this is the hot seat. You're in the Freedom Hut. you got to be ready to rock here. I, I want to be really clear to the audience. This is not anywhere near what I thought I was going to come on and talk about. What? This, Let me is, this is accurate. Vince is actually a serious political editor for the DailyCaller.com, where he's editor-in-chief. <laughs> but I'm just, it's Friday, Vince. Um, let me think. I mean, there's so many. I'd say uh, one of the Super Nintendo Mortal Kombat was pretty Okay. Awesome. Fair, fair, fair um, call. I'll take that. Mortal Kombat Ultimate. Mortal Kombat 3 Ultimate, I think is what it was called. Wow. And wow. then GoldenEye, of course, on the N64 I was going to bring up GoldenEye. I, that, for me, that was like a, almost a life-changing experience. I played so much of that on the multiplayer with my brothers that I actually thought I was James Bond after a while. So, in, yes. in, in, yeah, it, it got to that it, point. I was like... Yeah, and, you know, and I, I would, all of the various Mario Karts that, that existed, let's say, N64 and prior, um, were awesome. I can tell you and that I, I have heard I've, stories I've, from friends that Mario Kart was even more fun to play inebriated. I've, I've heard that from friends, too. I've heard that from friends. Only, I, have, I have a couple drunk friends. I'll admit that. Can I ask you a, a hard turn question? You're back into politics, so we get you back yeah. into what we brought you on the show initially for, though I'm having fun talking about other random things. Uh, <laughs> Trump, Trump transition team. A uh, bunch of new things this week. So far looking pretty good, I think, to a lot of people. What can we expect next week? Well, we're still waiting for that Secretary of State pick. And, you know, I will say that, you know, I found out, let's say, you know, three weekends ago that when I wrote the piece, um, that Trump was intending to pick the following people, General Mattis to be Secretary of Defense, Steve Mnuchin to be the Secretary of the Treasury, and Mitt Romney to be Secretary of State. That was three weeks ago. Now, since then, 
two out of three have come true. Mnuchin and Mattis have been picked for those roles. Mitt Romney hasn't yet. Um, but every time, if you think back to all of the early reporting, where we got early indicators on various people who'd be picked for various positions, up to including, say, Ben Carson, ultimately they did get picked for those roles. My question now is, does Mitt Romney make it through all of the nonsense we've seen with the Secretary of State fight? Will he finally actually be the guy? Donald Trump wanted to pick him three weekends ago. Let's see if that's still the case. Vince Colonese is the Daily Caller's editor-in-chief. Read more at dailycaller.com. Vince, you're a sport. You're a great dude. Thanks for calling in. We'll have you back soon. My pleasure. I'll have to play some Goldeneye. Absolutely. Odd job is always fun to be, by the way, in that. I like playing as odd job. All right, team, 888-900-3393 on the phone line. Sponsor this half hour, Yankee Hill Machine, YHM.net, my friends. That's where you have to go to check out all the latest wares, the offerings uh, from Yankee Hill Machine. They uh, design, develop, and manufacture some of the best firearms, accessories, and suppressors in the entire firearms industry. I mean, this is custom-made stuff up by Yankee Hill Machine. It is fantastic. They do a great job. They're big supporters of the Second Amendment. And Chris and Kevin Graham, who are the owners, Love what they do. It's a family business, all done here in the U.S. of A. You can see pictures of the guns. You can see the different accessories, all of it. YHM.net, Yankee Hill Machine, YHM.net. Check it out. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Show. Team, we've got Joe in Florida on the line. Joe, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome, and Shields High. Hey, Buck, same to you. I wanted to try to combine the fake news story story with the action movie quote story, although the movie is really more famous for being a book, and it's not so much action as, it, as there is war involved in it. Okay. And here's the quote. Chocolate rations have been increased to 20 grams. Hmm. I mean, uh, wait, John, come on air, John. You think you know what is it? Is that Dr. Strangelove? No. Oh, because I know they had chocolate. I'm stumped, man. I don't have it. What is it? It's 1984. I've actually never we seen are, the movie. I've only read the book. We, we are right I don't know if that's an, I, I, I got to throw a fl- Joe, you know, you're, you're, part, you're family, my friend, but I got to throw a flag on this one. I don't think that's an action movie. Well, there's war in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a stretch, <laughs> buddy. It's a stretch. <laughs> I did say that. It was really not an action movie, but, but there was war in it. We are right up against the Ministry of Truth right now. Yeah, well, we are up against the Ministry of Truth about- for sure. I mean, the, the, the Democrats... They just have no shame. I mean, no. is there really no shame? The answer is yes. They have no shame. Right. And this is also sort of another end run, I think, towards, um, what was it called there? The, the equal time the equal time thing. Oh, yeah, the fairness to, doctrine, equal time, the all that stuff. Doctrine, they right, always, right. The, the desire to control speech, as I was saying yesterday or the day before, it always comes from the left. There's no corollary on the right. It doesn't happen. Percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think it's because we're. I'm. I'm used to people saying, 
that you know my beliefs are terrible and that I'm a jerk or an idiot or whatever, and and I just I've I become immune to it since I've thought the way that I think now since I was like 15 or so. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I think we're yeah. used to hearing speech we don't like, and I think a lot of people get to live in enclaves where that's not. Because even if you live in like, let's say you live in the reddest reds, you know, uh, town in America, right? Let's say you live in some town in Wyoming that's a hundred percent Republican, and and anybody who doesn't have uh, a framed portrait of Reagan on their wall is is banished forthwith, right? Even if you live there, in the back of their pickup. I, I'm sorry. And a gun rack in the back of their pickup. Yeah, of course, gun rack, all you know, all kinds of stuff. Got some ARs there, nice rail system set up. We got the EOTech, everything. Okay, so all that said, you will turn on the TV and you will see on a, in, a, in a majority of news programs views that conflict with yours. You will look for entertainment programming. You look for movies, and you'll see things that obviously are a slap in the face to your beliefs. All the time. Yep. It's inescapable. Whereas if you're actually from the blue side of things, if you're a Democrat, if you're a leftist, you can create a complete and total bubble. Absolutely. You, you, and, well, I just wanted to – I know you're going to get close here. The, if anybody – I want to plead to anybody who hasn't read 1984 in the last 10 years, please do it. Please I think it's it. one, of the, one of the 10 most important books of, you know, of all time, quite honestly. It, so. It'll make your eyes bleed. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially given the world we're living in now, I mean, it's it's one of the ten most important works, certainly in the English language, ever written. Absolutely. Yeah. Joe in Florida, Shield Time, man. Thanks for calling in. Great call from Joe, although I'm not sure that was an action movie quote. Guys, it's got to be an action movie. I'm talking guns. I'm talking excess explosions where they use lots of gasoline because those of you who actually know what explosions look like, they don't look like what they are in movies with all the black smoke and the fire usually. It's sort of – anyway – um, they add a lot of gasoline to them to make them do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I need, I need guys who have probably some kind of a foreign accent or, you know, or just sound kind of weird. So we're talking like Dolph Lundgren, Schwarzenegger, or, or, you know, Stallone doesn't have a foreign accent, but he has a, you know, Stallone has a very Stallone way of speaking. Uh, I'm saying it's got to be action, right? I mean, there's got to be dudes running around shirtless with M60s. And that's like we accept that that's actually the way you fire an M60 one-handed shirtless because, right? That's an action movie. Uh, we're going to talk about some other news stories and things. I don't even know what. It's going to be fun, though. Back in a few minutes. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Is the Buck Sexton Show? All right, team. We're joined now by. Uh, by <laughs> Whoa, sorry. We are joined now by Emily Zanotti. She is the political editor at Heat Street. She is E M Zanotti on Twitter. Emily, great to have you back. Great to be here. Um, tell me about the Marxist vegan restaurant that has had to close. Makes me so sad. Yeah, it's so sad. Um, turns out communism doesn't work, no matter how many times you try it. Uh, there was a vegan Marxist worker-run, equal pay, there's a couple other adjectives, but I can't remember them now, restaurant in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it discovered that when you try to run a restaurant with just your workers, they set bizarre hours, they take 40 minutes to make a sandwich, and they cause bread lines, 
and disaster, and it will run your business out of out of uh, profit. So they were forced to close this week in what might be the saddest development in communism in maybe 20 years. I was going to say this is a this is a fantastic microcosm of communism in action, though. I, I feel like this this would be the kind of thing that if a bunch of conservative activists came together and a sort of a spoof did it, it would be brilliant to show that, yeah, when when you have Marxist principles at work, people don't work, people don't care, the product sucks, it takes forever, the customers are unhappy, they don't get what they – I feel like this, this is a learning experience. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it should be just an SNL skit about what, com- what happens when you have a communist business platform, but – it was real, and people people were complaining. It took them 40 minutes to get a sandwich some days. The workers actually collectively decided on the schedule that the restaurant was open, and so the restaurant was open at only bizarre hours that were convenient for the workers. There were no managers, no bosses. It was, it was just a disaster. It was the public bathroom of restaurants. Wow. That does not that that sounds really I'm not eating there anymore. So I guess it's closed. That would be hard anyway. Uh, Next one on the heat street uh, heat street hits list. You've got Miami University students going into a healing garden because Milo Yiannopoulos was paying them a visit. What happened here? Yeah, so Milo's been on his tour of Midwestern universities this week, and he made a stop at Miami University of Ohio. And the students were very, very fearful that they might be exposed to an alternative opinion. And so they spent the whole week ahead of his visit making giant tissue paper flowers so that the night of his visit, they could spend time in a garden of love. And so they they had crafts and snacks and poetry and spoken word and a speaker who uh, spoke out against the white supremacists who elected Donald Trump and uh, it was it was just a very serene and comforting experience for these students who couldn't handle an opposing viewpoint. Why not have a healing garden year round, by the way? I mean, if we're really going to take, you know, why is it only that the trauma of a Milo visit w- would would make them come together to create this healing garden? I feel like a healing garden sound, you know, that I would have loved at Amherst, like a tranquil Zen garden. I mean, the you know, the, the idiot football frat boys would have destroyed it within about 12 hours, but it would have well, been yeah. cool to set up. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I would love to have a, a garden with, like, goldfish and, like, snacks and things that I could go into when I'm stressed out and just zone away the world. I think it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they set up these safe spaces, and sometimes they have puppy. And I'm all for puppies, you know. If the safe space puppies. was a year-round thing where you could just, like, de-stress and chill, it wouldn't bother. It, it's that it's always in response to somebody who wants to come in and, and give a, a lecture on like the the uh, pitfalls of Keynesian economic theory or something, and then everyone's like, "Oh, right. we need a safe space," or like how feminism has failed women, or what happens when you have a communist restaurant, and 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 that's when they have to retreat into these safe spaces with coloring books and crayons and pencils and therapy dogs and the like. By the way, do you see this thing about there's some kind of a. a, a protest of when this is not a heat street thing but i want to ask you about it. there's like a, a a woman's protest against trump that's coming together do you know about this there is yeah it's coming together for the inauguration in uh in DC. here we go yeah u.s women i just want to read the headline u.s women plan nationwide strike against donald trump whoa what's going on apparently we are not supposed to do any cleaning any working any um romantic things during donald trump's uh, inauguration weekend because we are protesting as a gender against 
the election of Donald Trump, which who was actually elected by white women. I mean, we made the difference in the election. Um, but yes, we are supposed to be on strike from everything that weekend in order to punish men for electing Donald Trump. So that weekend, no chores and no funds, no fun stuff. No that's, chores, no fun stuff, no making wow. out, no nothing. That's that's like the saddest thing ever. Why are Democrats it, ruining everything? <laughs> Democrats want to make everything less fun. Even even marriage is less fun. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I didn't even I just saw this now. I didn't even know they were planning this. All right, that that bums me out. Let's get me on to a well. We'll just get into some other story here for a second. We've got uh, what's this about? Ivan- this is a piece on Heat Street. Ivanka Trump appears set to become Donald Trump's first lady. I will have you know, Emily, that Ivanka was my junior prom date. True story. Side note. But go no ahead. No way. That's so I know. cool. I know. I generally don't tell people because they're always like, "What happened?" And I'm like, you know, I was really cool at 17. What can I tell you? But go ahead. You're like that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So Ivanka, uh, who manages a you know a, a accessories and a fashion empire of her own, Melania Trump will be staying in New York for at least the rest of this school year, so that Barron can finish out his fifth grade year at his Upper West Side um, Elementary School. And in the meantime, it looks like Ivanka is planning on moving into the White House. She's now divesting herself of interest in her fashion empire. She's going to hire a new CEO. So it looks like she's going to be part of the administration, but she says she doesn't want to actually be, have a real job. She doesn't want to be director of anything or cabinet secretary or any of those things. So it sounds like she's going to be pursuing um, her crusade for working mothers and women in the workforce from the first lady's position. And uh, she'll be moving to D.C. and and it's going to be an interesting interesting transition. It's kind of a first lady light position. It's not really official first lady, but she's going to be kind of taking on those responsibilities. Yeah, I should probably send her an email and be like, "Hey, since you're one of the most powerful people in the country now, um, let's grab let's grab coffee and talk about old times." <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, like, remember that junior prom? It was amazing. Yeah, Severus, <laughs> I, I barely remember. That's how old I am now. But it it, it, it was a thing that happened. I do remember that. Uh, so tell me a bit about how Kellyanne Conway might may not end up in the White House. This is a surprise to people. Yeah, so Kellyanne Conway is actually going to be, it looks like, taking the helm of Donald Trump's version of organizing for America. So when uh, Obama made the transition into the White House, his campaign infrastructure became a nonprofit entity that supported his policies, and it worked with grassroots organizing. It sent out lots of emails. It, um, it offered swag to people who had elected him to the White House. It sent Christmas cards, all that good stuff. She looks to be taking over that position for Donald Trump. So she's going to be the one who's in charge of sending you emails about your sale on Camo USA hats and things like that. But she'll also be the person who'll be pushing the grassroots effort to help Donald Trump's policies become more popular among Americans. So it's actually a really important position, um, but it isn't in the White House. So she won't be part of his inner circle in the Oval Office. She'll be operating probably from New York and at the helm of this much larger organization. And finally here we have that Trump Tower is advertising secret service. This is all, by the way, on HeatStreet.com. Trump Tower advertising secret service protection as an amenity for tenants? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So if you uh, want to rent in or buy in Trump Tower, the actual apartments are going at a really great rate, apparently, according to some New York real estate brokers that we talked to. And you get secret service protection. And so they're saying you basically will start to live in the most 
protected building in New York. You might have to have an interview or interrogation every time you go past uh, your doorman, but you will live in the safest building in New York. Emily Zanotti is the political editor at Heat Street. Check out her latest at heatstreet.com and give her a follow at E.M. Zanotti. Your last name is fun to say, by the way. E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. Emily, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, come back soon. Sounds good. Uh by the way, about the security thing, Trump Tower, it reminds me, Andrew Giuliani, who was the mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani, whom you're all familiar with who that is, uh, his son was in my little brother's class in school. And I always remember, I remember a couple of things. First of all, when Giuliani won the, uh, is it the mayorship or the mayoralty? <laughs> mayoralty sounds like, you know, his eminence, the mayoralty, the mayorship or whatever, whatever. He won the mayor's office uh, in New York. And and then there was the inauguration, and he kind of, Andrew, the son, sort of, you know, he didn't do anything really. He was just kind of hanging out in the background. But then Chris Farley played, uh, did a sketch where he pretended to be, and if you haven't seen it, go back to YouTube, and it, it is it is pretty amusing. Um, and he sort of like jumped in. This was the opener for SNL. And I remember it, it was, I think, if it wasn't the dean, it was like the assistant principal or something of my of my grammar school went around that Monday after the SNL aired to every classroom in the school and was like, if any of you make fun of Andrew Giuliani, you will be suspended. Like just flat. Like if any of you mock him for the SNL, like it was we were all put on notice right away. Like, do not even think about it. Um, but also because, you know, it's the mayor's son. He had a protective detail. And uh, this was you know, back in the 90s when actually the city was pretty dangerous. It's gotten so much. And I always say it, and I can't, I can't impress upon you enough how different the city is. It was dangerous in the 90s. It was a scary place to go out at night. Um, but they had a, like a, a car outside with a detective or two, a detective at the door, and a detective in the classroom. And I remember the school was really happy because they all of a sudden they had straight-up armed protection and a really serious NYPD presence 24, I mean, not 24-7, but all school hours right there. So we were, we were like the safest school in the city because the mayor's son was in my little brother's class. Uh, I remember he was a nice kid. I, I didn't know him well, but he seemed like a nice guy. Uh, so that's what I had on that. Also, my older brother's school, there was a uh, there was a student who was the son of a federal judge and an open court. I think the I think the gang was called the wild cowboys and the or some, something like that like i think they were called the wild cowboys or something along those lines i th- believe it was a mostly latino gang although now, this is a long time ago this is back when i was in high school so i could be getting this wrong and the leader of the gang and they're responsible for many many murders uh said in open court that he was going to go after the family of the judge and so they had to assign a 24 7 uh, protective detail to her son in my brother's uh, school, which is a different school. And so, yet again, they had the same thing, and the school had like security on the block all the time. So these things happen. 888 900 3393, team. We will be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. John in Florida's in line. What's up, John? Uh, happy Friday, Buck. Thanks for taking my call. Same I to you, sir. I have a uh, action movie quote and then a question for you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, 
Okay, here's the quote. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? The born identity. A bank account number. Oh, that was good. That was, you know, Thank the you, problem, sir. of course, is uh, Matt I mean, I, I think you guys, you guys understand. You're up, you're up against like a ninth degree action quote black belt here. I just want to be clear on that. But go ahead. I know, but I know, but it, that's such a good movie. It's a shame that Matt Damon is the guy who doesn't know. That's that's the big problem with the Bourne movies. But anyway, uh, my, my question. Good Chris quote, though. Good quote, John. Definitely falls within the, within the boundaries of the game. So thank you. Go ahead. You were saying question. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. President-elect Trump has nominated generals and real-world non-academic people to his cabinet. What do you think this means for his approach to the war on terror? It's an excellent question, and a lot of people are, are, are at present trying to analyze and come up with answers to it. Um, I, look, I, I think that he... I think that there's an understanding that is is really a generally a bipartisan one now that we don't want to be in the position of trying to build build a rebuild a Muslim society from the ground up. Right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to do it in Afghanistan. We don't want to do it in Iraq. In Afghanistan, we're still sort of doing it, even though because we just don't know what else to you know what the exit is or what else to do. And in Iraq, we left, and now we've got you know what's going on there with Mosul and, and ISIS and all the rest of it. Uh, and there's always the possibility, by the way, of Iraq devolving into a sectarian civil war. So that's keep that in mind. Um, I, I think that Trump is going to take a very aggressive posture against uh, against terrorists. I think that he's also going to push and his you know top officials will push allies to be very aggressive. Um, what that means, that, that's more of a. You know, that's more of a sort of uh, a general approach than it is specifics on this. Um, I will have to see, you know, he's going to view immigration, I believe, as part as an issue in the war on terror in a way that uh, Obama certainly did not and the Obama administration did not. Uh, He's going to take a look at I I do think he's going to take a look at, you know, refugees, even though we don't take in huge numbers of refugees. So that will be a part of it. Um, I also think that he may be more willing to, you know, for example, here, here's a, a a better example, even what I've said. The airstrike campaign against Syria has been very limited because Obama was very, you know, very reluctant to have there be any civilian casualties or you know, any collateral damage. I think President Trump may say, look, if these guys are trying to kill our people, if we've got information on it, you know, we're going to blow up the building and we don't want to hurt anybody that's not a bad guy. But sometimes that's going to happen. I I think he may have a mentality that's more like that um with all that that comes with so uh, that's the best answer i can give you with uh, about 10 seconds left here john before we go into the next hour but it's an excellent question i promise i'll continue to think about it and address it here on the show so uh, shield time my man down in florida good to talk to you uh yeah that's an excellent question how will how will the war on terror be different with trump i mean he'll speak about it differently and that will have an effect he'll approach it as commander-in-chief uh with more clarity But what does that mean on the ground uh, in different places or from the sky in different places? i got to think about it. I've got to think about it. Plus, I think Trump has to think about it, too. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back. Great to have you. A third hour is underway here on Freestyle Friday. We are joined by Anderson Wilder. He was the crew engineer and executive officer at the Mars Desert Research Station located out in the Utah desert. Anderson, great to have you. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. All right. So you were part of this program that is essentially a dress rehearsal for what life on Mars would actually be like. Tell us about this. What's this like? Yeah, so it's it's called an analog mission, and this particular one was um, organized with the Mars Society, uh, directed by Dr. Rob Zubrin. Um, it's pretty much a habitat that we have that is set up out in Utah. Uh, they also have one in Hawaii. NASA has one down in Houston, and they also use the bases in Antarctica as um, a research hub. And pretty much we have a team that goes out, and does research, but they do it in the context of being on Mars. So once the simulation starts, um, everything is set that you have, you are behaving as if you're on Mars. If you have to go out outside to look at any, ro- any rock samples or anything, you have to go out in a spacesuit. Your food and, and water is limited, and your space to live is small. And so you're in that building with about six or seven people. Um, so, yeah, th- that's what... Um, the basics of the analog card. Now, what are some of the things that people might not necessarily think about, but that you have to sort of deal with the day-to-day? Obviously, you can't go outside without your spacesuit on, because on Mars, if you decide it's time to go for a, you know go for a stroll with Fido, you you both both better have spacesuits on, or else I'm assuming it's going to be a very bad day. Uh, so you have to keep your mm-hmm. suit on when you go outside. How do you go, how do you go about the uh, food and uh, the, the, the sort of day-to-day aspects of simulating life on Mars while you're out in the desert in Utah? Yeah, so um, our food, we were stationed with um, the dried food, uh, the dried and canned food, um, somewhat similar to what the astronauts have on the space station. So they have a, um, a much larger menu. Um, but we had to rehydrate our food, just like the astronauts um, up in space have to, have to now, and that's what um, is the idea that will happen with the astronauts who go to Mars, except they are also, um, NASA and other researcher, researchers are working on designing systems to be able to grow food. So on the journey to to and from Mars, uh, we would be able to grow food. So the journey to and from, but can you grow food theoretically when you're there? Yeah, there are some um, other researchers. I mean, researchers are doing um, studies in, in every possible field um, to take this a possibility. Um, there are some people who have... Um, Dozen studies that show that we would be able to grow food in in Martian regolith, which is on Mars, uh, it's dirt. Um, right. So they should be able to, as of right now, um, to be able to grow food within the Martian. And how, how does yeah. uh, I see that part of the experimentation you do for this? What do you call it? A- analog training for life on Mars is the usage yes, of 3D printing technology. Is that just essentially you get a 3D printer so that, you know, you need a, you're on Mars, you need a hammer, you print a hammer. Is, is that more or less what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, that is exactly what's going on. Um, with 3D um, printing or additive manufacturing, uh, that makes, it essentially gives you free reign to, to, to produce what, whatever you need. 
I'm instead of bringing a hammer and then needing a wrench, if you need a wrench, you just print a wrench. And so that way you are saving on material and cost. If anything breaks, if it's able to be 3D printed, you can 3D print it and not have to wait the, um, the multiple months and millions of dollars to launch it to the space station. Or in the case if you're on Mars, then you'd have to wait the months, right? Multiple, multiple months. Of months to get a resupply machine. Yeah, that would be a very even. That would be more expensive than even like Pentagon hammers, right? If they had to send that thing up to you in space, I assume it would cost quite a pretty penny. Yes, yes, it would. So um, the social and psychological aspects of this, how do they try to simulate and prepare for that? I, I assume that if one was going to actually live on Mars for a period of time, I pardon me for you know uh, out, out, an outsider perspective here, but it would seem pretty weird. Might, might weird some people out. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's most likely not going to be for the faint of heart. Um, there are many researchers at NASA and across the world working on different aspects of team dynamics and um, sleep studies, um, eating studies, and everything else that could possibly affect the, um, the psyche of an individual who is, at, who is that isolated away from human society. I, I, there is... Um, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to add that there are many uh, thoughts and ideas of what could possibly happen, but there are many of, the, many of those things are not truly testable without being in the situation itself. How far are we from setting up some kind of a, a, a you know, human being, life-sustaining uh, Mars station? Yeah, I, mean, I think right now what the plan is, is NASA is looking at um, getting with international uh, cooperation um, people on Mars uh, by the mid-2030s. Um, Mid-2030s? So certainly yeah, within yeah. our lifetimes, those of us, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm f- soon to be 35, so uh, there's a good chance that there'll be people on Mars during my lifetime. Yeah, we should definitely see that. As long as everything goes as planned. Um, but yeah, um, Elon Musk, the creator of SpaceX and Tesla Motors, uh, he has a plan to get people there even sooner. And then there's also a group called Mars One, uh, which I, you may or may not have heard of. It was a group who were trying to send people to Mars one way. Uh, they also have a plan to get people to Mars sooner than that. Um, but as of, as of right now, what, what NASA is, is planning on doing is um, the mid-2030s. And just as a reminder for folks, we've we've addressed this a little bit in the past on the show uh, once, but uh, life, I mean, not life, uh, conditions on the surface of Mars right now, how cold, how much gravity, what's it like? Yeah, so uh, the the conditions on Mars, uh, some of them are similar to Earth and some are drastically different. Um, Gravity is about one-third. So if you've ever seen the big video of people jumping on the moon, It'd be somewhat, it would be somewhat more similar to that than it would be to what we have here on Earth. I could finally dunk. Um, it's temp- exciting. Yes. Uh, the, the temperatures, uh, you're looking at an average of negative 80 degrees. So um, beyond cold. <laughs> you know, um, and with lows as far as negative 195 degrees. So it's really so cold. It, it, I mean, even people in Minnesota yeah. are like, oh, yeah, that's cold. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not short weather. Uh, uh, and, and then the atmosphere, uh, you have the atmosphere, it's um, 95% carbon dioxide. And only, um, so it's super cold, really no oxygen, or very little oxygen, and a third a yeah. third the level of gravity that we're used to. 
Correct, yes. And the, the gravity issue, that's something that is, are there concerns about how that would affect sort of human beings in ways that we can't even necessarily anticipate? I mean, is that, you know, what does that do to your internal organs and your heart? Is that, a, I don't know, I'm just asking. Yeah, so um, with the astronauts that we've had now uh, over the past 55 years that we've been sending people into space, they are in, in a microgravity environment, what um, we generally refer to as zero-G, where they're uh, more or less floating weightless. And uh, the longest we've had people, well, currently regular missions to the space station are running about six months long. We've, uh, we just finished a one-year study. And so we had uh, had two astronauts, uh, one astronaut and one cosmonaut, in the space station for a year. We've had a, uh, the Rush, the Soviets, Russians have had people in Mir for a bit longer than that. Um, but they seem to be able to come back and operate more or less um, just as well as they did before. I mean, if there are problems. The legs, uh, you know, the muscles and bones are starting to deteriorate, so they spend two to three hours a day exercising. But uh, there are issues that we don't know as of right now if that if that third gravity how that will affect us differently from microgravity. So again, that is something that is being studied on a daily basis by researchers around the world on how to counteract the negative effects of that. All right, Anderson Wilder was the crew engineer and executive officer at the Mars Desert Research Station located in the Utah desert. More on this on Twitter at SpaceDork80. Are you at SpaceDork84? Yes, I am. That is your Twitter handle. All right. That's bold. Yeah, at SpaceDork84. It's, <laughs> it's a nickname of friend I hear you, man. Hey, I, I used to be in the CIA. We used to give each other weird nicknames, too. Anderson well, Wilder, thank you very much for joining, man. Great to have you. Uh, thank you very much. It was great being here. Thank you, sir. Uh, team Mars is red and pretty cool. You know what else is red and cool? Our sponsor this half hour, Super Beats. Beats are amazing for you. That you know for sure. I'm sure you've heard it from your parents, even your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents. Beets are incredibly healthy. They're a nutrition goldmine. They're rich in vitamins, minerals, electrolytes, and dietary nitrates. Now, beet juice is rich in nitrates, which helps muscles use oxygen more efficiently. But unless you want to start chopping up a bunch of beets, I got an idea for you. You can get the benefits of three whole beets in just one teaspoon of Super Beats with no beet taste. Super Beats. You're a super beat, super beat. You're super beady. You should check them out. I feel confident offering them to my listeners because whenever I take super beats, I get a little boost of energy. I think they're fantastic. Taste delicious. It's got a special drying process that's patented to make sure that it's all about flavor. It's super simple. Add it into water. You can put it into your smoothie, whatever you want. So call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. You get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister, guaranteed, or your money back. That's 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats.com, 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats, B-E-E-T-S, dot com. Super Beats, yo. Check them. Be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
Mike Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Team phone lines are open. 888-900-3393. Please download today's show. Share it with some friends. we got some fun segments. It's a good way to get people interested in all things Freedom Hut. Let's, uh, let's make some converts to Team Buck this weekend. That will be fantastic. Uh, Jeff in South Carolina, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Thanks, Buck. Uh, this is, uh, I'm a fellow uh, Intel guy, uh, retired Air Force. Uh, um, had a couple things. One had a uh, movie quote for you. Yes, you sir. Ready? Yeah, of course. Okay. Boards don't hit back. Uh, Bloodsport. No. Oh, no, that's bricks don't hit back. Uh, Karate Kid. Nope. Man, what is it? Enter the Dragon. Ah. Yeah, uh, Chong Lee in the movie Bloodsport says bricks don't hit back after Van Damme smashes the bricks as a test to get into the Kumite. He breaks right. the bottom brick. Right. That's, but that's bricks don't hit back, which is obviously an homage to Bruce Lee in uh, End of the Dragon with boards don't hit back. Fair point. Technically a martial arts movie, but I'll give you action movie on that one. So uh, <laughs> you, you did stump me on that one, Jeff. Fair enough. What else is on your mind? Uh, I also had a question for you. Uh, I don't know if you saw the reports. Uh, I think it was early this week or late last week. Uh, there were reports that the... Um, AQIM iconic figure Mokhtar Belmokhtar MDM was taken out in an airstrike and I'm curious as to what do you think that will what kind of effect that will have on the Islamic extremism there in North Africa very interesting I actually didn't see this uh, let me see I, I know that Mokhtar Belmokhtar there have been reports in the past that's, that said that he would uh, that said that he's dead and now let me see. Yeah, November 28th, I'm seeing French strike likely, likely killed arch-jihadist Belmokhtar uh, in Libya. I, like, I, I'm always a little skeptical of the impact that leadership, that, that strikes against leadership against HVTs when you're talking about terrorist networks are going to have. It really is sort of dependent on the individual and the status of the group at the time. Um, Belmokhtar does have a, I think he's part of the, they want him in the Rewards for Justice uh, program. Um, so he's one of those terrorists where you get, uh, yeah, $5 million reward for uh, information leading to his capture. So he, he's high up on the list. And AQIM, which uh, was really just a sort of rebranding of uh, the GSPC, uh, Salafist Group right. for Preaching and Combat, uh, you know, AQIM has has engaged in some some pretty high-profile attacks, but it's been a little while since they've had one that uh, got on sort of U.S. radar. I'm not sure if they were responsible for that one in the Tunisia. I got to check on that one. If they were responsible for the one at the Tunisia beach resort, uh, but killing Bel Mokhtar, I don't think it's going to stop the group. It, it might throw them into disarray for a few weeks, but they know that usually it's only a matter of time before we catch up with these bad guys, and so they have succession in place. And you know, I said this when they got uh, when when Mullah Omar was killed, the Taliban leader. And everyone said, oh, well, you know, this is great. Now Mullah Omar's gone. And I was like, well, first of all, he had been gone for two years. And second of all, the guy who replaced him was considered even more hardline in terms of his Islamic jurisprudence than Mullah Omar. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's, it's, right. really, it's really situationally dependent. Uh, so, it's, look, it, it's, it's always a good thing when you take out the leadership of a terrorist group because it at least puts the rest of them on notice. And, you know, it's some measure of justice. Whether it really slows the group down or not, though... It, 
it's a very tough call. I'll just point out that uh, after Abu Musab al-Zarqawi was killed uh, back in, what was that, 06, the Sunni, uh, the Sunni insurgency under AQI got worse, and the civil war in right. Iraq got worse. So the by far the most prominent terrorist in Iraq was killed, and we had you know 180,000 U.S. troops, civilian contractors, and all the rest there. And uh, that didn't stop it. In fact, it got worse. So we'll see. I mean, it's an excellent question. I, I don't really have much of a prediction. I'd have to dig deeper into what's going on with AQIM right now. But Belmokhtar is certainly, you know, he's he's been a guy that's on the radar for a long time. And uh, he got on the radar in the wrong way this time. So we'll see. All right, Jeff from South Carolina. Shield time, man. Thank you very much for calling in. Keith in Alaska, you are on the Buck Saxton Show. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Buck. Um, quick, uh, quick movie quote and uh, just one quick deal. You guys were talking about the movie Shooter last week, last Friday. Um, Wait, what movie? I'm about to say the movie Shooter. Oh, Shooter. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen that yeah. one, but go ahead. So I'm going to have to say that you and Ty are wrong about the movie. They, they have created a TV series called Shooter based on the movie. So at that point, it tells me it's, way, it's uh, well on its way to a cult classic. So, anyways, my uh, my uh, quick movie quote for you is, um, many a night I put a blade to your throat. Sure glad I never killed you. Hold on a second. I know this one. Many a night I put a blade to your throat. I'm sorry. Um, uh, I, I got I to hit the gong. I'm out of time. What is it? Young Guns. Ah, that's right. That's right. And, and is that Lou Diamond Phillips? Yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips saying that about, about Billy the Kid, right? Or no, about Charlie. Yeah, talking to, yeah Dirty Steve. Dirty Steve. Dirty there Steve. we go. I've seen a lot yeah. of I've seen Young yeah. Guns a lot of times, but I forgot I forgot that one. I mean, again, action movie, more of a western, but an action movie, I suppose. And Oh yeah, it's an action movie. I mean, it is western themed, but it's an action movie. I mean, they do bust out a Gatling gun in the end, so got to give them credit for oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's tons of shooting too, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's actually probably Emilio Estevez's finest work. Definitely better than Men at Work. Oh, yeah, no, probably, yeah, his best movie for sure. You know, and I, everybody thought that was going to launch him, but it, he just kind of petered out after that, so. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he didn't really, you know, Charlie Sheen had the much bigger career, and then, of course, Charlie ran into some problems later on in life. Keith in Alaska, yeah. Shield Time, and man, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for calling in. Um, yeah. Young Guns. We got a Young Guns uh, quote in there. Very, ex- very, exci- very exciting stuff, I have to say. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, my favorite. I, I, I really think my favorite Western, and it's not a classic Western, but I think Tombstone with Val Kilmer and uh, Kurt Russell is my favorite. It's the one I enjoy the most. It's my favorite Western. I'm willing to say it. I know people are going to say, what about Shane? And what about Unforgiven? And what, you know, there's a whole list, but. I like Tombstone, man. The Doc Holliday character in that, Val Kilmer, I think is the best thing Val Kilmer's ever done. Much more coming. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. I just totally respect this move. Makes a lot of sense to me. 
uh, a fan of the movie Ghostbusters from Great Britain flew all the way from the UK with his girlfriend to stand in the firehouse, that is the sort of building used for the movie Ghostbusters, at least the facade. It's down in Tribeca, a very sort of trendy part of downtown Manhattan. And he proposed to his girlfriend, now fiancé, in the Ghostbusters firehouse. I think that's very romantic. Does this poll work? Guys, got to check out this poll. This place is great. We'll take it. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie Ghostbusters, again, I'm giving you a lot of movie recommendations. And these are old movies from the 80s, too. Uh, but I would, I would highly recommend you check it out. But, yeah, this was a story. New York Daily News, others have picked this up. This guy proposed to his girlfriend at the firehouse in Tribeca, uh, fire station in Tribeca, which is uh, it's a cool building. I've, I've walked past it not too long ago and checked it out. There's also the building where they have the, uh, like, Zool and uh, all that stuff that goes on on the rooftop and the end of the world's going to happen. Stay Puff, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. It's on the Upper West Side. It actually is filmed in New York City. This is one of my big complaints about a lot of uh, New York City shows and movies, uh, TV shows and movies, is that they use sound stages. And it's, you, I know it's expensive to be in New York and difficult and everything else, but you just lose so much when you don't actually use the city itself as the backdrop. Like How I Met Your Mother is a very entertaining show. I, I enjoy it. I like it. Uh, it's what I kind of put on if I'm you know cooking or if I just need something to ignore that's in the background. That and Parks and Rec. I've seen Parks and Rec like three times all the way through, maybe more than that. Um, but it's all on a soundstage in California, and you can tell the whole time, and it just doesn't doesn't have the same feel. So I feel like this uh, British Ghostbuster super fan is making moves. I mean, it's one of those movies that I can recommend to you, and uh, I feel like... It's it's absolutely timeless. I was glad when Vince Colonese said that he liked um, The Matrix so much. I think that's also a great call. Matrix is a really fantastic movie. So you got that you got that going on, which is nice. And I'm I'm a fan of The Matrix. I'm a fan of Young Guns. We've had a lot of fantastic movies brought up today on the show. Hard turn for a moment. Some breaking news here. The uh, we we're talking about speech and the Democrats and how they want to sort of ban certain speech that they don't like. Well, the far right-wing politician, uh, Geert Wilders, was found guilty, this is breaking news today, just broke in the last few hours, guilty of hate speech and inciting racial discrimination for leading a chant calling for fewer, fewer Moroccans in the Netherlands. Uh, this is from Telegraph, the UK newspaper. President, Ju- I'm sorry, presiding, not president, presiding Judge Hendrik Steinhuis, I think that's how you say it, said the court would not impose a sentence because the conviction was punishment enough for a democratically elected lawmaker. Prosecutors had asked judges to fine him 5,000 euros. Wilders, the head of the PVV Freedom Party, was not present to hear the judgment, but his lawyer, Geert Jan Knups, Knups, immediately issued a statement to say that he would appeal. Um, The case was based on almost 6,500 official complaints after Wilders led a party rally uh, during a local election campaign in The Hague in March 2014, asking whether there should be more or fewer Moroccans in the Netherlands. So, and he tweeted out, Wilders uh, tweeted out, three PVV-hating judges declare that Moroccans are a race and convict me and half of the Netherlands. You know, very interesting here. Um, took 20 months, by the way, for this case to finally reach a verdict. And it's three months before the Dutch general elections where Wilder's PVV is leading in some polls. So this is not a minor thing for the Netherlands, but I, I think for us it, it exposes something very interesting. 
and that is that Europe, we are the exception. Always keep that in mind. We are the exception when it comes to the First Amendment and free speech. Europe doesn't really have free speech. It, it does not. Uh, first of all, if you go to a country like the UK, their Official Secrets Act is even more kind of onerous. And I mean, they, they can tell the press, for example, you know, you can't publish that or else. I mean, that's that is done in the UK. Uh, here, that would be considered prior restraint and except in very limited circumstances would would not be allowed. And I mean, it's, it's never really allowed. But um, anyway, so uh, in the in Europe now, if you oppose certain nationalities uh, immigrating into the country, you that's a, whether that's a nice thing or not. I'm not even touching on that. That doesn't even for the purposes of our discussion right now, it doesn't even matter. What does matter is that you're not allowed to say it. It's a crime. They'll fine you. And they could even theoretically imprison you for it. And I just think that this is an important thing to keep in mind, that our notion of free speech, we talk about free speech, and we think, oh, the world, the Internet, everything's so free, you can say what? No. No, a lot of countries, first of all, a lot of countries you can't say anything about the ruling regime without getting in trouble. But even in liberal Western Europe, where we get a lot of our own, uh, ideas about common law and uh, about society and governance. Um, obviously, sort of the the we sprung from the. I'm trying. I was trying to think of a cool analogy there, but let's just say that we we were sort of an appendage that fell off. Ooh, that's gross. We're much better than that. I'm just saying we're we're America's awesome. We came from Europe originally. You know what I'm saying? America, heck yeah. Uh, but we are the outlier when it comes to speech. Europe is um, not a free speech continent. They put limitations on ideas explicitly in law. And the left in this country wants to do the same thing. And it is an essential battleground, uh, ideological battleground for anybody who believes in a truly liberal and a truly free society going forward. And yes, it does mean that even if you think that what what Wilder stands for is disgusting and terrible, if you are an actual liberal in this country, you should say that what's going on in the Netherlands, where he's advocating for a public policy that does not involve violence, it does not involve the incitement of, of actual physical harm to anyone, and advocating for a, a public policy can get you imprisoned and jailed, uh, imprisoned and fined. That's Europe, everybody. And it's true of a lot of European countries. So I think it's just, uh, we should all take a step back and realize that that is, um, that's what's going on. As we talk in this country about fake news and Russia intervening in our elections and everything else, we do not want the government in a position to tell us what we can and cannot say. Uh, we're going to hit a break. And we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team, it's Freestyle Friday, so let's talk about some dinosaurs. In fact, the tale of a 99-million-year-old dinosaur, including including bones, soft tissue, and even feathers, has been found preserved in amber. This, according to a breakthrough new report, the study's co-author, Ryan McKellar, joins us now. He is the curator of invertebrate paleontology at Canada's Royal Saskatchewan Museum. Ryan, great to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, please tell us about your findings. Well, what was discovered and where was it discovered? So this particular piece of amber comes from an amber market in Myanmar, 
And it's a, a huge deposit that's been mined for many years, and over the last 20 years or so, it's become a huge source of fossil insects, and more recently, things like vertebrates, things with backbones. Um, this specimen is basically a, a small section out of the tail of a, a juvenile dinosaur that would have been a small bipedal dinosaur, probably a carnivore. And it's the first time that we actually get to see bones and feathers together in the same piece of amber. So it gives us new details in terms of how the feathers attach to the bones, their overall appearance, and how they fit in in an evolutionary sense. Would it, the dinosaur, would it be kind of like the, uh, the compi from Jurassic Park? Remember the sort of small, the smaller dinosaur? Would it be that size or more like a raptor? Um, actually, the compies are a really good uh, comparison there. So it, that's actually within the same region of the family tree, so to speak. Um, and this particular specimen was a, a juvenile that probably would have been about the size of a sparrow. So we've only got a three-and-a-half-centimeter strip of the tail from near the base. And the bones that are hiding underneath the mass of feathers are only two millimeters wide. So it's a very narrow, whip-like tail. So what, what could this tell us about dinosaurs that we, you know, how can this sort of advance our knowledge of this 99, in this case, 99-million-year-old species. It, it gives us a rare glimpse of um, what they would have looked like in a hand sample or if you were to actually walk up to one of these animals. In the past, most of this evidence has come from isolated feathers in amber, where we're never quite sure about the source animal, or um, compression fossils, where you've got a skeleton and a sedimentary rock like a sandstone, and there's a faint trace of carbon around the outside of the body where the feathers used to be but they're sort of tangled and overlapping each other and lacking fine details. Here we get to see everything in 3D and down to like thousandths of a millimeter, thousandths of an inch in terms of the um, scales or the resolution we're getting. And so is this a dinosaur that would have been part of the, I know there's a theoretical transition or I don't even know if it's a theory now, maybe this is what's accepted by all paleontologists, but that dinosaurs sort of transitioned into, into birds or made, how did that go? Yes, this is one of the groups that is a little bit further removed from birds. Um, so the Solarosaurus, the broader group that they belong to, includes everything from Tyrannosaurus all the way up to modern birds. We're dealing with something that's a little lower down in the evolutionary tree, something that's closer to the compsognathids or the compies you mentioned earlier. We don't know exactly which species it was, um, but it fits in that general area. So it gives us a glimpse of what feathers would have looked like in that part or that, that group of dinosaurs and how they stack up or compare against birds or the, the groups that led directly to birds. And with this finding, by the way, what are the things that research-wise w- will be done? I mean, what are some of the processes this will go through in order to make sure that they sort of squeeze as much uh, research and, and knowledge juice out of this as they possibly can? <laughs> Well, we've actually applied a, quite a few techniques to it already. Um, so in addition to the sort of standard looking at it through a microscope or doing microphotography, uh, we were able to CT scan the specimen and look at the details of the bones and how the feathers attach to the skin um, using a very high-end X-ray machine, for lack of a better description. And also to look at the chemistry of the sample where it breaches the surface of the amber and look for things like traces of iron that would give you a sense of how well-preserved the specimen is, if it records traces of blood or pigments, things like that, that would narrow down our sense of color. Um, Beyond that, the micro observations are using just standard light microscopes. We can see pigments in the feathers. You can tell the underside of the tail is white or pale, and the upper surface would have been sort of a chocolate brown color. So it gives us um, another avenue to pursue this. We might be able to do other chemical testing to narrow down the, the colors or look at preservation in even greater detail. And you'll have to excuse the, the question, but from a layman's perspective, people would say this is sort of the beginning of the uh, w- world-famous uh, Jurassic Park the plot, the book by Michael Crichton. You know, you find, uh, what was it, uh, mosquitoes in amber and dino DNA comes from that. 
What are the? Why is that not possible? Well, um, one look at the specimen shows you that's not on the menu. Um, it is dried out and um, partially carbonized. So a lot of the soft tissue, like the skin and the muscle, has been replaced by a thin film of carbon um, or degraded to a thin film of carbon. So none of the original material is there, save for a few traces of things like iron from the original specimen. Um, most of what you're looking at is actually, um, for lack of a better description, like coal. It doesn't tell you or doesn't have genetic material trapped in it anymore. You might be able to look for things like protein fragments in among the feathers, but that's sort of the next step in studying this type of material. And the BBC described this as a beautiful dinosaur tail. What, what, what about it is beautiful? Um, it, it's visually stunning, for lack of a better description. It, it's um, pretty, and um, the level of detail in the specimen is much beyond what we get in other fossils or other types of dinosaur fossils. So we get to see things like the color patterning. We get to see things like these tiny, tiny little hooklets or side branches on the feathers that tell us how the feathers were used. Fascinating stuff. Um, what is your favorite dinosaur? If I put you on the um, spot. And, uh, <laughs> and Kylosaurus, to be honest with you. It doesn't really fit with much of what I do. It's just one of those gut reaction things. Is that the one with the, the club-like tail? Exactly. Yeah, that was a cool one. That's a good answer. I'll take that. I'm, I'm, I'm a Triceratops guy myself, but Ankylosaurus is also high on the list. Ryan McKellar, <laughs> Ryan McKellar is the co-author of the study about this uh, tail, this dinosaur tail found in amber. He's the curator of inver- uh, invertebrate paleontology at Canada's Royal Saskatchewan Museum. Uh, any, anywhere you want to direct people to look more at your uh, research or any of your, uh, anything you got going on, Ryan? Uh, this paper was published in the journal Current Biology, and the Royal Saskatchewan Museum has its own webpage and Facebook page, so feel free to check us out, please. Absolutely. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I knew he was a good guy. He likes Ankylosaurus. Strong, strong call. John, favorite dinosaur is what? John, you can't, you can't not have a favorite dinosaur. That's ridiculous. It's like saying you don't have a favorite color. Really? You're, you're going radio silent? He, he's not in the room with me, so he, he can go radio silent. I've got nothing. I got now, nothing. Now, now John's giving me the silent treatment. No, I'm he, on the air with you right now. I have no, nothing no. for you. I'm sorry, Buck. That's all right, man. I didn't I mean, prep. I, 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 I figure like the, the, the go-to is a T-Rex, obviously, because big, scary, eats things. You know, you don't want to be like a Diplodocus guy because that's like liking a, just a giant cow. Um, but, you know, Ankylosaurus, very cool. Triceratops. Obviously, a lot of good PR for the Velociraptor after Jurassic Park, but I feel like Velociraptor got a little full of itself after that one. Um, but yeah, there we, I, I, just, I just wanted to know, John. You know, sorry to put you. I put John on the spot today. Vince on the spot. Friday, you got to be ready. You know, you got to be. I think we're gonna start. I'm gonna start asking random callers in random questions as well. We're gonna add that into the mix on Fridays. Make sure everybody's on their toes. So you call in, you're like, "Oh, Buck, I've got a movie quote for you." I'm gonna be like, "Yeah, well, what's your favorite book?" And we're just gonna we're just gonna see what people come up with on the spot on the fly because that's how we roll in the Freedom Hunt. I say that it's Freestyle Friday, and I mean it. Um, so with that said, I'm trying to think. Uh, um, download the podcast. That would be a, a great, uh, a fantastic Team Buck service if you wouldn't mind. Even if you're listening live, please download it and then share it, email it, uh, text it, post it on your Facebook page, whatever. There's some fun segments that we'll put up today as Buck Shots as well. A uh, great way to get people to expand their knowledge of all things Team Buck. And I'm looking forward to a relaxing weekend, but I will miss all of you. But Monday I'll be back. 
back live every day next week, which is going to be an absolutely fantastic time. If you haven't already, please go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Click like on the page. You can also send me messages there. And with that, my friends, I'm going to start off my weekend. And I bid you all the fondest of uh, farewell and adieu. And a much cooler way of saying that, of course, is Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.